You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. How's it going? Did you have a good week? And I guess it was the weekend. Sometimes it feels like every day is the weekend, doesn't it? Also, if you could please follow us on all our social medias uh, and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening or watching. That really helps. You know, you can watch on YouTube. Ryan makes these amazing videos. So you can watch the interviews there or uh, listen on Spotify. But please subscribe, write a review. And you gave us a five-star rating. I mean, a 7,000 uh, rating system, whatever. It's uh, pretty badass. So make sure you handle us and handle us. It's getting a little perverted. Uh, I've been doing those Instagram lives. If you've joined us, uh, we had Zach Levi came on the other night, and uh, it was awesome. We talked about, you know, therapy and anxiety and life, and it was really great. It was really fun. If you get to see any clip of that on my Instagram live, I know some people taped it, but... Um, Sometimes I have special guests pop up, but the, the most interesting thing is really uh, on those Instagram lives, uh, people want to be invited to, to be on the video so you could split the screen with them. And so I randomly invite people to come on the Instagram lives and they have been unbelievable. We're going to do uh, patron stuff at the, at the end, my shout outs to my lovely patrons who I, I love for the inside of you. And also the uh, Patreon, uh, the horror patron that I'm doing with John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite, you know. We're doing a horror uh, Patreon exclusive. It's only there. It's called Where Have All the Good Horror Movies Gone? We review movies, but we also talk and comment to each other and the, and the, and the, and the patrons. And it's actually really a lot of fun. And thank you, Bryce, for uh, your editing and your... And by the way, we message when you get messages from us on the Patreons, it's us. More importantly, the great uh, charities out there that I love, Ronald McDonald House... Reminding you, uh, Tom Welling, Kristen Crook, and myself, we did a, a omaze.com slash reunion. You donate for the Ronald McDonald House of Los Angeles that I've been a part of for a long time. And uh, they draw somebody, and you get to have a, a virtual room with us with and just talk to us for a long time. So that's fun. Uh, also throwing out foodonfoot.org, helping the homeless. I am a $98 club member. Uh, love that place. And a lot of my listeners fans patrons you unbelievably kind have uh I, i've heard from rob and, and the head of the organization food on foot they dude you're you're people from your podcast your listeners are like donating money i'm like holy shit just too much don't get me started you know i can get emotional really quick uh, i want to support the uh, animal rescue mission arm my good friend shira who i i love and adore she is part of that organization she she heads it and go to their website. Uh, it's really incredible. Tell them Michael Rosenbaum sent you. Uh, are you listening to the Inside of You podcast? www.theanimalrescuemission.org. I also was on Instagram today. I said, what the hell, man? So I, uh, I'm thinking of uh, auctioning some old scripts that I have signed. I have many of different things because I'm kind of a dork like that. You guys know. Tom Welling, he didn't, he didn't, Kristen, they didn't, they didn't take anything home with them. But I took wardrobe and things. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe I can raise some money. So maybe a few scripts, a few articles of clothing, whatever. I was on Instagram, so I might um, auction those off for charity. Whatever you get, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, 1000 bucks. You give it to charity, every every cent counts, so it's good. Also, uh, go to Inside of You online store. Uh, we got Inside of You mugs, Inside of You tons of stuff. But new shirts and hoodies and all that stuff just came in. And they're selling like hotcakes. So go to the Inside of You online store. And uh, I'm doing a stage it. People have been asking me to do a stage it. I haven't done one, and I've never done done one alone. That's tomorrow, May 27th at 6 p.m. California time. That's Pacific. That's Wednesday, tomorrow. It's a stage it with my good, dear friend, 
Uh, he's really the only person I've seen. Rob Danson, he's in my, uh, the band Left on Laurel. We 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 did that together, and um, but he and I have been you know hanging out. He wears a mask. He's ten feet away, so uh, we're being safe. And uh, he will join me for a stage it, and we'll have prizes and all that. So go to stageit.com. Look for uh, I think the, the subject is Rosenbaum and Danson. D-A-N-S-O-N. So check that out. You know, I appreciate you guys. This week, it's a, it's a great guest. Um, uh, people have talked to me on, the, uh, you know, listeners have written in, the fans. And I, I'm going to read some letters on the outro uh, of the show when when our uh, guest is is gone. But they're like, you know, it's you, t- you gotta talk about mental health. Talk about uh, all these things. Why don't you have a doctor on or something like that or a therapist? So that's what we did. So uh, the past couple of weeks, I've interviewed my uh, some therapists, a life coach, um, this week, so that's going to happen. We're going to have a mental health week. We're figuring all that out now, but already recorded and fantastic. But this week, this was amazing. This is someone that I've known for a while. I haven't known, like, we're not buddies. Uh, in fact, he doesn't really return my emails all the time because he's he's a doctor. He's busy. Okay, so, you know, it's not like I constantly berate the guy, but no, he's a, he's a fantastic man. He's got a heart of gold. He helps a lot of people for free. Um you know him on Celebrity Rehab. He's, uh, uh, what else? I mean, there's so many po- podcasts. Love Line. He's got, he was on The Masked, what is it? The Masked Man? The Masked Crusader? I don't know. I don't watch it, but he was on it. Um, I love him. And he has so much insight today. You're going to love him too. And uh, that's Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew Pinsky. So why don't we get inside of Dr. Drew. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. How you doing, Dr. Drew? How are you, sir? I'm good. You look like you're go about to either you got off work or you're about to go to a an event. But uh, I know I, gotta, I do it kind of an event i've got the i do a show on fox 11 every night so i gotta go suit up for that and i gotta blow out of here right afterwards all right this is one of the reasons i want to have you on not only for this but i just can't i just can't imagine anybody doing more than you i don't know how you're not divorced i don't know you're how you're not in celebrity rehab <laughs> so this, it's a great question I, I, I mean when i was really bad i mean my workaholism it's so funny you bring this up i had a dream about it last night but and my daughter was sort of confronting me about my workaholism in my dream. But, but in my, you know, in the 90s, uh, I don't know how my wife tolerated it. I, I don't know. I, I would get up at 5 in the morning, and I would struggle to get home by 10 at night every day. And I mean every day. And so, and that went on for years. Did you make promises to her, like, this is going to end, this is just how it is now? And then it got worse. Probably that kind of thing, or it just this is just what I have to do. This is you know the people are sick. I they you know I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what how I how I persuaded her that it was the right way to be. But it, it took years <laughs> to carve it down too. I mean, I, I carve it down. Wait, you have four podcasts? Is that right? Yeah, but now I'm not bad. I, I'm really not bad compared to how I was. This is like leisurely. I, I didn't never. I never ate a meal sitting down. I never got more than six hours of sleep and, and it was just, it was insane. And the beeper would go off all night back in the days of the beeper. And I would still run in in the middle of the night, at least two nights a week. 
It was crazy. It was super duper. And you still have a practice in Pasadena? Right, but it's small. I mean, it's patients I've followed for 30 years, you know, people I know really, really well. I, I, I was doing telemedicine before it became a thing because, because I can manage my patients. I mean, I know them so well, so I can manage them. And how many phone. do you have? How many regular patients that you've had for all these years? Um, it must be a few hundred, you know, three or four hundred, something like that. Three or four hundred? You said a few. I was up way up for a long time. I mean, I was doing a full-time hospital practice and, and working in a psychiatric hospital and seeing 25 outpatients a day. I mean, it was, it was nutty. Do they ever say things to you like, you know, I'm sure you're busy with your celebrity friends or your celebrity patients. But No, the, the ones that have been with me have been with me forever. And when all that stuff started happening, they were like, hey, good for you. Anyway, about my, about my back. So, so they, 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 they got that there was two worlds I lived in. And what kind of medicine is that? Like, is it just everything? They come to you with everything and you kind of instruct them to go, oh, you need to go see this doctor or this specialist. Everything non-surgical I took care of. I take care of. And, and, and I used to do a lot of critical care, you know, so ventilator management, that stuff you're starting to hear about these days in the, in the COVID, day of COVID. I used to do a lot of that stuff. And so I actually signed up to go to New York. Um, because I guess I, I didn't know, but I guess the younger internists aren't being trained to do intensive care medicine. They've left that now for the intensivists. And so I, when Governor Cuomo called out for volunteers, I said, man, sign me up. I, I can come and work on the front lines. No problem. And you've done that already? Well, I signed up and I went through the interview process and they just said, stand by and they never called me. But I would, I would have done it happily. I mean, I really was looking forward to it. And what would that job entail? What exactly would it be? It would be a lot of work. It would have been admitting people into an intensive care unit. It, co- it probably would have been, I don't know if I would have been managing the whole unit or do a shift on the unit or be there with other doctors managing the unit. I, I don't know. It depends on the hospital. But it would have been, you know, hour-to-hour care of critically, care, critically ill patients. Right. Which, again, I did. I was going to be a cardiologist, and... That got sidetracked because I started moonlighting right after I finished my internship. I started moonlighting in a psychiatric hospital down the street. And I became completely intrigued by what was going on there. And uh, I, I was initially, and for, for the first like five, seven years I was there, I was running the medical services. So I became really good in the medical management of psychiatric patients. And guess where a lot of the medical problems were? They were down on the drug unit. So then I got interested in that population and how to get people off drugs. Even though I'd worked in a county hospital for, you know, 15 years, well, 10 years, um, never anybody had given me any guidance on, on drug withdrawal and how that could be a discipline. And there was a guy there at the time. This is like, this is like 1980, 1986. And there was a guy there that had made a clinical discipline out of drug withdrawal. And I was like, I want to learn that and learn how to do that. And then I started, I got pretty good at it. And then people were asking me to see more and more of these drug addicts who also had lots of medical problems. And the whole while I was so fucking hubristic. I was like, oh, what goes on in those rooms? Those those 12 step on the wall. What is that nonsense? Those 12 (laughs) steps. (laughs) I do real medicine. And, and I watched some people, Go young, healthy people go from dying to amazing over the course of like three months. And I was just like, what is that? <laughs> what is happening? Right. I need to know. I need to understand more about that. And that's kind of how I got into it. I mean, you got into, I mean, your father was a doctor, right? Yeah. 
And were you captivated by what he did as a as a youngster? Did you? I think I idolized him in some fashion. Uh, I always just assumed that's what I would do. Uh, I hit Amherst College in 1976, uh, and you know ran straight into winter there, and the level of competition intellectually there was insane. And after a semester uh, of doing pretty well, but I just tapped out. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I, I'm not meant for this. See, these there are really smart people here. Those guys get to do this. This isn't for me. And I spent about a year and a half screwing around, uh, doing music and theater. And you sing? Yeah, yeah. Did you see me on the Mass Singer? Well, that's what I was. I was going to ask. I mean, I mean. <laughs> I mean, did you want to be a performer? Did you want to be? A- um, for about five minutes, I thought about going to West Germany and really training seriously in opera because I was pretty good. I could create a pretty good sound and I was, you know, decent at, at uh, classical music. But I was, you know, thank God I did not do that because I am a terrible musician. And I have a son who's a really well-trained classical singer and pianist, and he's the real deal. I was not even a dilettante. Do you sing together? Uh, I don't know if we've ever done. Come that. on, doesn't he play any little Jim Croce or a little? Uh... No, no, no. He, he's classically trained, so we could maybe. Do, <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't know Jim Croce. End of the second act of Othello or something, and uh, do a duet. But but um, <laughs> so I wisely and I got very depressed, very depressed during that period, and started having panic attacks and just I was a wreck, and. Uh, and I was the whole time going, well, that medicine thing, that's what they want me to do. I'm not that. I don't know. I'm going to find my own way, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then finally, uh, after about a year and a half of that nonsense, I had the courage to go, God, I'm pretty good at science. I wonder if I went back to that. And it, I immediately felt better. I immediately thought, oh, oh, there's something there. And uh, started working my way back. And then I had to get my, my act together fast. Because uh, now it's my junior year in college. I've got one semester of pre-med under my belt. And I've got to go to school full time. i got to kick ass in everything. I've got to take, you know, multiple science classes, which was considered death at, at, at my college. You just didn't do it, but I did it. And uh, made it through. What is that? Up. What is that? like? Because I never had that drive. Maybe it was certain things, but... I mean, it just seems so overwhelming, so, so daunting to imagine to, to become a doctor. The things you have to do, you have to really want to become a doctor to go through that. Yeah, yeah, which I, which when I was a, when I was a freshman in college, would have been terrible if I'd done it. When I returned to a junior year, I was on. I was like, and there's something about the male brain. My brain was not mature enough to sit and do the work that needed to happen when I was nine. I was 18 when I got to college, but at night at 1920, well, now I could do it. I could suddenly do it. It was really interesting. And, and I could kind of excel at it. And, and it, and I was, I was into it. I was very, very, very into it. So you love the work. You love being around people who love the work. I just love science and I love the rigor of the training. And, and I was a very well-trained scientist by the end, actually. And then when I got to medical school, I remember we would have uh, we would have gross anatomy at the end of the day every day. And I would get out of that anatomy lab, and my car would always be on, on the roof of this parking lot. 
And I would just walk on. I would just go, oh, my God, I'm so happy to be. Oh, just, I feel like I have such purpose. I feel like this is so meaningful. I'm so delighted to do wow. that. And, and so it was just gratitude all the way across. Now, by the time I got into the wards in third and fourth year, I got a little less, oh, more overwhelmed. That's when I sort of workaholism kicked in and stuff, my codependency. So the residents would like kick the shit out of me for years. Um, and then when I got back around to residency, then I was into it again. I was back really, really, really. I mean, do you it. just ever think, and you probably, I see, this is the thing with science is that it's always changing and there's always things to learn. It's almost like being a technician or somebody who's with the internet shit in a, in a, in a yeah. analogically yeah. speaking, you have to keep up to date with it. And there's, that's overwhelming for me even to think about. So I, I think of it the way airline pilots have to keep up to date on the, you know, the aircraft and what's going on and make sure their judgment is good. And I don't know, somehow piloting an aircraft to me feels about the same. And yeah, I can tell you this, there's two aspects to this keeping up part. One is, well, there, there's actual testing you should be doing every year. And I do this thing called the MKSAP every year. I've done it for 20 years. You have to or you just do it? Um, it's a way of keeping your medical education sort of at the top level. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a criteria. You, know, you don't have to, but I do it. Do you think a lot of doctors do that? I don't, I, I, a lot of guys do. A lot of guys and gals do. But 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 I, I, I don't know if it's a minority or not. Probably a minority. But but there are, there's people that do it. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm one of them. I have no trouble keeping up on the reading because I like it. I'm into it. I read the three journals a week, but that's, that's kind of easy. That part, the, the more meaningful part is what you get from your peers. This is the part that people don't appreciate that you have to be interacting with your peers to, to know what, what's happening right now. You have to be talking to the specialists. You have to be hearing from the, you have to kind of, because the, the subspecialists in medicine, you know, the cardiologist, the gastroenterologist, the, neurologists they're the ones that sort of set the practice and and what they're doing you have to be interacting with because they're they're the ones moving things along all the time and we as internal medicine kind of come along with them yeah uh, so, so you know good good peers and their practices sort of set the tone for what we do and then you then i go oh yeah i was reading about that i i get what he's doing or he or she's doing there's the practice of that. I'm seeing it in my patient right now, and I will adopt that now. Do you see guys that are relatively bright, but you're like, this guy should never become a doctor, and you're, they're 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 with you, they're graduating with you, whatever the case. But you're like that 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 kind of person usually finds their way into a field where they don't have to care. You know what I mean? There's fields of medicine like pathology or you know, certain things where where your your caretaking is you know you're just a technician at certain points you know you just need to do a great job and that's all they want to do they want to be a great surgeon or they want to be a great pathologist or whatever it is they they don't have to it's better when they care but they don't have to care so right much, right yeah so, so yeah. i don't mind those i want those guys i because i need these technicians that can really you know when, when i have my prostate out i just ask the guy what's what's complication rate that 1100 Complication rate zero. I go fine. Let's go. <laughs> so, and that was it. What was that 2013? Oh, I was diagnosed 11 years ago. Right. Yes, so it was 13. Yeah. So what what happens? I mean, that's that's something we we could just touch on. You know, trying to give the audience a little information here, and they probably should know this, but a lot of people don't. Like, you should get your prostate checked every year, 
right? And it's and it, by the way, is blood enough? Because a lot of doctors will say, "Oh, just check your PSA level," or do you need not to be rude, but do you need a finger in your ass, doc? Definitely finger in the ass. Uh, it's it's every year after fifty for all men, unless you have a first degree relative with prostate cancer. Then, it, in which case, it is every year after forty. And so, you it's recommend the blood and the finger? Better blood for sure. Finger. Why is the up. finger better? It's not better than blood. It's just it's just corroborative. Thorough. You, there's such a thing as a low PSA prostate cancer, and and they're actually really bad. So there is such a thing, right? And you would feel it, and you would feel it when you reach in there. You know, I I hadn't gotten one. I only <laughs> showing the the magical finger. You know, I had only got gotten uh, one last year for the first time, and I'm 48 years old, 47 years old. That's you know that's okay. That's okay. Dad or anybody with my grandfather. My grandfather had it, but he got rid of it. But yeah, he did have it. So so you could argue it's really not technically a first degree relative, but but you could argue you should start at forty, but definitely at fifty. Right. And the colonoscopies. I just had one of those. You know, everybody said it was that bad. Like I I really didn't feel that bad. I, I I took the liquids. I took them all at the same time for the most part. I didn't do it the way you probably should. And yeah, I I went pretty hard. It was like liquid fire for a couple hours. The preps are a little easier now. And yeah. Then the nothing. I mean, you're out. You don't know what's going on. Oh my god! I remember talking to the doc, and the next thing I know is like, all right, I didn't see anything in there. Now, people, when they get the polyps, is that a concern? Like when you have polyps and they took them out, that's that's the concern. Well, it changes how we screen you, and I'm a big advocate. You know, once you have polyp, you need a follow-up in one to three years, depending on what kind of polyp it is, that sort of thing. But more than that, I'm a big advocate of genetic screening now. So there are there are syndromes of primarily how your DNA repairs itself. Right, your DNA is always making mistakes. I mean, the biochemistry of DNA replication is so complicated that of course there are going to be mistakes, and there's a whole system. In your, in your cells of mistake repairs. And some people's repair systems aren't that great. So sometimes these, these DNA errors get through, and that is a cancer or that's a polyp. And there are certain genetics that you can test for to see whether you're one of those people. And I, I always had a hunch that I was because there's colon cancer in my family and my dad, my uncle had prostate cancer. So I did this thing called color.com, which I recommend for everybody, C-O-L-O-R.com. It's about 200 bucks. They test you for the 30, 35 most common DNA, sort of like like BRCA, you know, BRCA genes. Mm -hmm. Well, there's about, there's actually about 400 things like that, but there's 30, 35 common ones. And I have one. I have something called Lynch syndrome. I'm an MSH6 Lynch which puts me at risk for colon cancer and prostate cancer. And so now I have to get an, uh, an upper and lower endoscopy every year because, and that, Jesus. and my sons had to start theirs at 25 because they, they had it too. Yeah. I mean, look, it's important to just be on top of it. I, a lot, look, a lot of guys, it's always been like, ah, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. Well, then you die pretty much. You don't go to the doctor. You're going to die. I have a lot of friends that don't want to go to the doctor. I'm fine. I feel great. Yeah, feel great is not the, the game. The game is prevent getting sick, prevent the cancers, pick them up when they're early before they get away. Uh, you know, it's, it's about staying. It's, yeah, get on your blood pressure medicine. Stay on your cholesterol. You do these things that make you live longer. We're, right. We're, we live way longer than we're supposed to, and it's uh, pharmacology and screening that helps us do that. Well, it's also the same thing with you know going to psychiatrists, going to a therapist, doing that. You know, it, it, thank God it's normalizing a little bit where everyone's sort of talking about it now, or more people, especially on my show, we we talk about that. And 
you know, I always say I'm not a doctor, but, uh, you know, you, you should probably go see a therapist. You should probably talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. I went for 11 years. You went to a therapist for 11 years. Oh, yeah. Best thing I ever did. What years were, the, were these? Age of about 33 to 44, something like that. So, so I, I have an anxiety disorder. And I can tell you, I had panic attacks and depression when I was in college, but I have generalized anxiety. I'm a little on the OCD spectrum. And uh, we have triplets. And mm. during the early years, my anxiety was spinning. My workaholism was crazy. You know, how am I going to, how am I going to support through tri- uh, I was just, I was nuts. Then at the age of one, one of our kids needed brain surgery. Oh. And I guess I spun out like a top. I wasn't aware of it, but my wife called me at work one day and went, you need to talk to a therapist. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Cause I'd always thought I, it would help me with my work with the drug addicts and stuff. I was starting to do that then. I go, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely going to get it. She goes, listen to me. Go. It just my the hair stood up in the back of my neck. I went, okay, okay, I hear you. I hear wow. You. Went down, made the call, started, and it was uh, beyond wonderful. It well, changed my life. Well, you know, you really need one person in your life. I always say that you just trust that whatever that person says, you are for the most part are going to take that advice. Is Susan your wife? That that seems like it's one person when she tells you something. Not, well, at certain times, but she, when I know she's serious, then she, she's pretty serious, and I, and I will take that direction. The, the kind of therapy I did, though, was not advice-oriented at all. It was, uh, turned out, I had a weak connection, the way I, way I conceptualize these things. So, so the, the primary sort of uh, problem today that people have is re- regulating their emotions, right? We call that affect regulation. And I had a particular issue where I was not strongly connected to my primary emotions. So they were sort of vague and I couldn't really feel them. So I had to get do, do insight-oriented, deep, what's called emotionally focused therapy to try to connect up to those emotions. And you essentially do that by sitting with another person in proximity, whom you trust, and just going, I'm feeling whatever it is. And then that person reflects back to you on their face and with their voice an understanding of your experience, which is called a second-order representation, that you then – is sort of a metabolized emotion that you then take back in. So it's primary emotion, metabolized emotion, internalized and identified and connected emotion. So if I say, Dr. Drew, you ask me how I feel, and I'm feeling – I feel sort of like tingly, like almost numb. I feel like I'm anxious. It's in my chest. I feel like uh, I, I just feel like I'm just I'm just anxious, and I don't know why. And I just feel like I'm ahead of myself. And right. that was me. <laughs> that was that, that's how. That's what I deal with. You would go, no, 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 no. No. Well, what's just just tune in? Like what? I get that you're anxious. I get that you're anxious. What what comes up? What are you feeling? What uh, what what else? What else is there? What's on your mind? What's like what, what pops into your head, right? So right. And, then, and, then, and then following that. And so I've gotten very good at doing that for other people too because I've been the object of that. And for drug addicts, that is a particularly important thing to be able to do because drug addicts are disconnected from their emotions and, ha- and get so lost in their disease, they don't know what's real and what's bullshit. And, and they, they want to know. And when somebody else can feel their feelings, it's called, you know, feeling felt. When I can tune into what, you know, when I can receive what's really going on with them, 
it's an important experience. It's an wow. important, it makes them feel connected and safe and secure. And of course, trust is a big issue for drug addicts. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. Inside of you is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, inside of you online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's so easy to navigate. And when you want to add discounts, like for instance, I just had a discount where I put uh, Michael 15 and that was my discount code. How much of a percent? 15% off the total order. Easy. Adding products. It's so easy. You put a picture. You just upload a picture. You put a description. It, it, it does everything for you. And the analytics are so easy to use. Uh, this is the most selling product. Oh, I should get more of those. This is the least selling product. This is how much I made for this month compared to last year or last month. It's so easy to navigate. I feel like a pro and Shopify has really helped me do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. 
Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. It's amazing because I look at you and I, I just see it's somebody who has their shit together. Somebody who's always had their shit together. Wow. I wish I could emulate. I wish I could be aspire to be a Dr. Drew. We all want to be. But then I look and then you, you talk about your anxiety and your flaws and all these things. Everyone's human. And it, if, if anything, it helps knowing that top doctors, people that really help other people uh get the same thing that we do of course i mean i mean there are there are people that are highly narcissistic that will tell you that feelings don't matter for them and good if they're a surgeon bad if they're a psychiatrist or a psychologist you know what i'm saying i mean there's a place for everything uh but you should always be skeptical if people seem to they're not connected to their emotions but they tell you that emotions don't matter so you went to therapy you did you had anxiety. You took. Did you ever take uh, Xanax or any of those things? I did. It made things worse. Uh, I was really mismanaged in college. I, people give me a bunch of things. It was all bad. Um, and, and I think I was so badly mismanaged in college that I think it's what got me interested in. For a long while, I was you know on Love Line and stuff. I was helping adolescents and young adults. And that that I think that interest came from the fact that there was no medical services for adolescents and young adults when I needed it. I mean, I really needed it. And uh, I remember I went down, uh, you know, I had a, a sense that these panic attacks were psychiatric. And so I went to the, the mental health services at the college, which was in the bell tower, fascinatingly, <laughs> in the belfry. Uh, <laughs> and they sent me down to the medical doctor, which at that time was some retired guy, you know, it's in New England, some retired guy serving his time there. And, he looks at me and he goes, you need to get your act together. Just take some long walks in the woods or something. I'm like, I, I would. Of course I would. I would that's going to make me, that's going to take care of this? How I'm, how I'm feeling? I don't think so. But I would happily. No. And it was, it was complete disgusting mismanagement. And I always thought, oh, man, I, I got to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. So, so know, mismanagement, like, like you were doing too many things and you had no kind of structure in a way? Were there, were there those issues? profoundly depressed and I was having disabling panic attacks and there was pharmacology available at the time that could have helped me there was of course psychotherapies and things that could have helped me and to have a a family practitioner look at me and go get your act together boy it was destructive I mean it was just terrible Uh, and then I had one therapist who was no good and then finally I found a good one and kind of got me through it a bit, but I still struggled for a long time. See, I think what you just said right there is very important because, you know, people looking for a good therapist, they think, okay, I meet a therapist. I guess I should just stay with him thinking, oh, well, therapists are therapists. They're not. If you don't like them, if you're not feeling comfortable, if you don't feel like opening up, you probably should look for another therapist, correct? They each, just like everything else, they each have their strengths and talents. And uh, and you as a patient don't really know what you need at the beginning. It's hard to tell sometimes. I didn't know what I needed when I was starting out. 
I, I would say it's a good bet generally. Here's here's sort of general principle. These days, trauma is so common that you probably need some trauma-informed therapy. So somebody who's got some specialization in trauma is usually helpful. And secondly, whatever technique they're using does not matter as much as their capacity for deep empathy. So you need to feel felt. If that, that person must be laser beam focused on you. And if you feel that that focus is there, that's all you need. You know what's weird? I swear, I don't know what it was because I've had male therapists for a long time. And in the last year, I, I have female therapists. And for some reason, I connect so I can get emotional. I'm like, who am I? It's I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that male therapists aren't good. I'm just saying for me, having a female presence i don't maybe has something to do i'm sure you're thinking oh probably has issues with his mother <laughs> well maybe but also i think women are better at doing this kind of connecting they just naturally can connect that way we as men we, we struggle to do it and and each of us and that doesn't diminish the the power or the work of any male therapist some of them are extremely good yeah but i think women more easily do this uh than the rest of us yeah and they are maternal figures if they feel like mothers to me when i talk to them they they it's just something comfortable and to be fair that was what i and i didn't i didn't get what i needed from my mom and so a lot of the work was finishing that work up you know you go back to talking about how you wanted to be a voice you, you were quoted here you said my goal was always to be a part of pop culture and relevant to young people to interact with the people they hold yeah. in high esteem yeah the, the idea was that I again because of my 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 own horrible experiences in adolescence, I thought they we got to focus some. This was in the day of AIDS too, and I and no one was talking to them about this. It's, it was you know it was Anthony Fauci that motivated me to go on the radio. Do you know this? No. Oh, he was a big player in the AIDS thing, and I was working on AIDS. I was just deep in the AIDS epidemic, and um, and he was out there going, "You got young doctors. You got to go educate. You got to change behavior. There are going to be ten million dead if we don't change their behavior." Blah, blah blah blah. And so I took that very seriously, and I had an opportunity to go on the radio, and I was like, "Oh, no one's talking to young people about this." This, but we just had stopped calling grids. We were now calling AIDS. We had the A causative agent, which at that time we called HTLV three, if you remember. Yep. The terms ducks had not been coined yet. No one was. No one was talking to young people. And it was considered scandalous when I started to do it. And I thought, what? why? We have to change the behavior. They're going to get, they're going to get this infection if we don't. So it was a really, uh, he was a big part of my motivation to go in there and, and be talking about it. But the point was, as it went, time went along, that I, would, I felt like I was always trying to in, insert myself into the cultural vehicles, whatever they might be, so I could reach people, particularly young people. And I always thought, because they're really on the trajectory, they're, they're establishing the trajectory of their life, and some small adjustments can, you know, keep it heading towards, you know, ionosphere as opposed to landing in the ocean. And uh, and I just was fascinated with that idea. I just thought it was an important thing to do. Uh, then I sort of drifted off of that into addiction generally, um, and I, I sort of saw, continue to see that as one of the major problems of our time. And that is young people and adults now. And still, I try to use cultural vehicles to make a difference. That's, that's the idea. Get, get in, crawl into stuff that may be uncomfortable, but if it makes a difference, go ahead and do hence it. Hence, like a love line. The love line was the original thing, but hence, like a celebrity rehab. Yeah, which I watched all the time. I remember on Love Line, 
you know, I remember being a, a guest in your show. It was late at night. It was, I was doing, I forgot what I was doing, but I remember asking you if urinating helps after sex, if you, to, you know, if you, if you don't want to get an STD, I'm not sure it was the brightest question in the world, but I still pee after sex. Is that smart? Yeah, it's not going to make much of a difference for a male. For women, it's it's smart because they can get urinary tract infections. So it really doesn't prevent STD. It prevents urinary tract infections in women. But can't guys get UTIs? That rhymes. Not really. Our, our urethras are too long. With women, the urethras are short, and the bacteria gets pushed up into the bladder very easily. So a woman so should pee. I should relax. I don't need to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's, it's not a bad habit. Not a bad habit. <laughs> I mean, it cleans out the urethra and maybe, you know, prevents some irritation. Right. You know, I'm, I'm only bringing this up because, you know, it's the news and, and, and only because I, um, I commend you and I find it really amazing how after the whole COVID-19 thing, and I know you've heard so much shit about it, but, you know, in the beginning when really nobody knew anything, you know, your, your outlook was, was obviously way different than it is now. Your it, sort of it was, perception. It wasn't way different. I got to tell you that now that we're here. It's not way different. I, 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 when I look, I talked to a producer yesterday who was producing this show in Denver that I was on four months ago. And I told him, I said, I feel now exactly the way I did when I was shooting my mouth off on your show, which is we don't know what's going on. The press needs to shut up. Everyone needs to listen to Fauci and the CDC. They should be your guiding star. But the press needs to shut up because they are going to create a panic and that panic is going to create God only knows what horrors. Now, here we are in the state of California where we overshot. In other words, we were, we were so good that the, 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 uh, est- the disease rate was about 200 times less than we predicted. Good job. Maybe we could have navigated through this and maybe been down by a factor of 10 or a factor of 5 and not had to have closed everything down the way we did. The CDC never recommended that. They never recommended it. So I stand by what I said, which is the CDC is your guiding light. If you do more, I understand why the governor in California did more. And I feel bad for him because that was a tough decision. And and I stood behind him when he made it. I said, look, he's got a plan for the worst case scenario. If his judgment is that we need to shut it all down and get a mercy ship in here and, you know, get 30,000 ventilators in here. His job is to prepare for the worst case scenario. I think it's a gross overreaction. I said it at the time, but I will stand behind him because that's a, that's a hard call. Do now, you, now yeah. in retrospect, it's easy to go, "Hey, man, we way, way, way overdid it. We could have done the we we why we lighten things up now because you know we've shown that okay, we've we've flattened the curve, and, and we don't actually know scientifically when the people talk about following the science." We actually do not know whether or not lockdown, shelter in place is different or has a different effect than wearing a mask and social distancing. And people are conflating the word social distancing. Social distancing does not include shutting down businesses and and sheltering in place. That's something the government did. And okay, it worked, but it worked so well, maybe you didn't need to do that. Maybe Maybe it'll be just as good if we wear our masks and social distance, it may be, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's worth a shot and then chase it and make sure we, you know, really have enough people. This is the other thing the governor is doing. That's really good. He's got a a whole army of people to chase little outbreaks and and make sure those are contained. 
that's yeah. really important. So, what me. do you think's going? I mean, obviously, you don't have an oracle, but what do you what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of months? Is this going to go on for months and months and months? The part I didn't know about this virus is is clinically how it affects at risk populations. So, people over seventy five, people with essentially metabolic syndrome, hypercholesterolemia, hypertension, central obesity and stuff. I've now seen cases, and it is brutal. It is awful. And until we come up with some treatments for that, uh, I am very concerned about this illness. And it, and it, and the other thing, it is more contagious than the flu. It's highly contagious. So those were the, those were the two pieces that I have changed my opinion on. That that it's it is more contagious. And and by the way, the day that uh, Tony Fauci, Anthony Fauci, said it's not the flu, it's more contagious, it's more deadly. That was the day I changed my opinion. And then I saw some cases, and now I'm. You know, see it how how awful it is when it when it's bad, man. It is just, whew. and until so we find some treatments for that, which I think we're on the verge of. Yeah, uh, we have to be very cautious with this thing. Remdesivir, remdesivir, what is it? Remdesivir is one thing, but I think there are going to be some some immune modulatory interventions uh, that we will understand how to use much better very soon. There may be monoclonal antibodies. We're starting to ramp up on uh, convalescent serum. And by the way, a pitch for everybody, give blood. There's all this focus on food. There's a lot of food around. We have shortages of blood. Give blood. That saves lives. Well, that's not something you hear constantly like you have with all this other stuff going on. Because I'm, I'm hearing news and it's changing every day and this and don't do this and this. and But you don't hear enough. Give blood. Your blood, man. I, all this focus on, we got to feed. We got to feed. Look, obesity is the, this is the number one risk factor for this thing. And there's a lot of food. I'm glad people are taking care of the food, but let's not let's let's focus on what what really going to save lives right. in the very in immediate term, very immediate term, which is blood products. If you've been if you've had COVID, give convalescent serum. If you haven't, go give blood. You're not going to catch it by giving blood. Don't worry. Yeah, and what do you think about like hanging out with your friends or maybe a friend or two if you're wearing masks and you're separated? Do you, is there, I mean, there's a lot of people who you know look down on things. What what do you do at this point? Like because you know people are alone. People want to. But they want to be respectful. And then there's some of those people, those idiots, sorry, that they are, that I don't have to wear a mask. I'm like, well, if it says no shoes, no shirt, no service, why can't we add a mask to that equation? We should. And as we open up, the only way we're going to be opening up successfully is if we are diligent with the social distancing and the masks. But yeah, if you have a friend over and you're particularly you're out of doors and you're wearing a mask and you're greater than six feet apart and neither of you are feeling poorly and nobody has a fever, that's probably safer than being in your home uh, with, with, say, food delivery. No, right. But we've never compared lockdown that I know of. Maybe somebody can show me the data where it has been compared. But to my knowledge, never compared lockdown versus social distancing and wearing a mask. They may be exactly the same. And I'm hoping they are. But in order for us to maintain the mask and social distancing we have to do that really diligently so i'm not in i'm not in favor of these yahoos not wearing masks you've got to do it or we're going to all end up back you know who knows you know how what they would how they would respond in the second wave uh one of my celebrity friends said i'm not going to give his name people have no idea how many people dr drew helped for free oh that's true i mean Uh, you're helping you're helping me right now this is no, free. no, and, I, and I, he's not. Whoever that is, is not just talking about on the radio or through media. I, I, forty percent of the time, I didn't get paid for what I did treating drug addicts, and when I did get paid, I usually got paid a fraction of whatever the, should be being paid. 
because it's just the way it is. If you want to help drug addicts, there's not a lot of available resources. Do you still check in with the guys from the celebrity rehab or, or you know, guys that are going through it or have survived? And do they still yeah. call you and help for help? Uh, Daniel Baldwin a couple of days ago. He's a he's a new man, man. He is inspiring. Oh my God, Daniel Baldwin, who I struggled with, and now he's just this great, great, great guy. And a lot of them. Jenny Ketchum is now a social worker in Seattle, um, and married with a baby. I mean, she was a porn star when I got we got got my hands on her. Um, Stephen Adler's doing. I mean, there a lot of them are doing very, very, very well. And some passed away of opiate addiction. Uh, and that's I think people understand now that opiate addiction is fatal. And once they got away from me, guess what? They went to their pain doctors. Pain doctors put them back on the pain meds. They overtook them and died. See, that's, that's, you know, that's another thing. You know, I, I've dealt with a lot of chronic pain my whole life. You know, surgeries, back surgery, and this and that. And I've done everything you probably can for chronic pain. You know, and I'm a, I, I could go on and I live my life. And, you know, I don't sit there and, and constantly complain about it. But I have always these issues. I, I'm always like, you know, I'm always in pain. Never comfortable. You know, so what do you say to people who are in chronic pain? Something that they, they can't, they can't, is there, you think there's an answer for everything or sometimes you're just going to have to deal with it and that's just it? Well, it's more complicated than that. Uh, there, there's, a, there's two components of pain. There's somatic component. I hit my finger with a hammer, my finger hurts. But there's another piece that's mediated through a part of the brain called the insula cortex. And the insula is where we feel essentially or how we feel literally how we feel and, and the insula sort of registers the misery component of pain or what we call the affective charge of pain and in people with chronic pain that are other usually people with severe chronic pain are dysregulated because of trauma and their insula cortex goes off and one of the unfortunate realities is that opiates make that even a more powerful reaction where it's just now overwhelmingly miserable all the time and gets worse the more and the longer you expose to opiates. In addition, in addition to causing more misery, you actually develop something called hyperalgesia where the inexperience of the somatic component is intensified as well. So it's the worst possible combination. Opiates are not a good treatment for chronic pain. So the, the other, the, the kinds of interventions that do work are more in the sort of neurobiofeedback zone and in multiple modality, old fashioned pain management. My, my, my uncle was the first president of the American Academy of pain medicine. And I used to go consult at his pain unit, which was physical therapist, biofeedback, psychologists, uh, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, internist. I was just multiple, multiple modalities, each kind of going in and trying to adjust this essentially experience and make it more tolerable for people. Right, because I definitely am one that, you know, I don't touch touch drugs. We had acupuncturists. We had, we had all kinds yeah, of yeah. pressure. I mean, we had all kinds of things. And you, it's hard to predict what's going to work for a given individual. Uh, and uh, Stanford right now, I think, does a pretty good job with their, their pain program. Who would you call if you, were, uh, if you were suffering from chronic pain and you just wanted to make sure you've covered all the bases? Like, you know, I think I would, I would make sure I went to a comprehensive multidisciplinary pain program, something like the Stanford Pain Unit. And you go, go in there and you tell them everything you've done, everything you're working on, the pain, how long, and all that stuff. And they will sort of slowly just evaluate you and, and, and process. Because yeah. for me, I think it's been process of elimination. It's like, how do I get rid of that? Well, they have all kinds of interesting, you know, techniques and some of them in the mindfulness zone and some of them, all kinds of stuff. There's I've done everything. Of- I did EMDR. I mean, that helped. 
It didn't help for that, but it helps. Nothing makes it go away. That's the reality. Nothing makes it go away, but it's about making it tolerable and making it livable. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I just sent some of this to my mother and she's starting to notice the differences hmm. in herself. And, she, and because I noticed my mother was always had brain fog and and she couldn't think clearly. And, and you know, and, and I, I was like, well, this stuff works for me. And what's great is I didn't even they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this. Um, have you heard of Synaletics yet? Well, listen, it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused, um, younger. I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic, 
Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, this is it. This is just a, a, this has been awesome, by the way. I could talk to you forever. You're so, so easy to talk to. That's why I think, unlike a lot of doctors, it's just like you're so personable and you know so much and you've worked so hard and you work with so many people and celebrities and non-celebrities. And I love having you here. And uh, I've been trying to get you on the show forever because I just think, I, I, I truly think you're an amazing human being. So thank you. You. So these are this is called shit talking right. with Rosenbaum. This is for my patrons. There's a lot of people out there, so I just ask a few questions. You could you don't have to, you know, you could shorten your answers or whatever. But be, be, you could be quick with these. Lisa what said, I'm not quick. Is that okay too? You could be whatever you want. Right. Lisa, what was your experience like on the Masked Singer? Are they really that secretive? Oh my God, yes! It's so secretive you can't. You anybody that you have to tell, you have you make them sign this very intensive non-disclosure agreement. So. So, I mean, just let me tell you, I, you know, you start training well before it all goes down. And only my wife and my manager and publicist knew, and they all had to sign non-disclosures. And a vo- voice coach started showing up at my house. And uh, one of my sons was living here with us at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sing uh, the Dodger game. I'm going to sing the National Anthem. I'm just preparing for it. And in, along the way, it turned out I had a vocal, a real serious injury in my vocal cords, and I had to get vocal rehab, and I had to have vocal, all, all kinds of people were coming through you. And he was like, all right, what's going on? And I go, okay, sign this. Sign the paper. <laughs> I'll tell you if you have to sign up. So I had one son signed up for it. Uh, <laughs> else, when you start production, like when you leave your home, you wear shields and hoodies and gloves, and not one speck of skin can show so you can't identify your race. You're not allowed to speak until you get out of your car, into your trailer, and shut the door. And then the only person you can speak to is a producer who comes in and shuts the door behind them. And then you're allowed to speak. Otherwise, nothing. You have no idea who's around you. You have no idea what's going on. They pay you a lot? No. If you you last, you get paid pretty well. But if if you're like me, you get kicked off and new. But... (laughs) But you get a one, you get one day of, of uh, I mean, think about it. You have to get these songs. I, I must see. My problem was I learned about twenty sort of Sinatra and Buble songs, and then I put the costume on, and I was like, oh my god, it's a rock eagle. I didn't know how to sing rock songs. Holy shit! So we had to chuck everything and find a whole new set of songs, oh. get them clear, learn them, then choreography and fireworks and staging, and it's crazy. You get one day of choreography. One dress rehearsal, an hour later you sing. Were you nervous? Dying, dying, and, and it's it's intense. It's super intense. That's really, and the costume kind of carries you. It's weird. You sort of become whatever these characters are, and um, it was one of the funnest things ever. And, and hats off to that production man. The, all the elements they manage, it's ridiculous, and keeping the secrecy at the same time. Oh, all right, Angie. Are you tired of Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura calling every time they do a podcast? Do you think Bert will ever listen to reason? Yes, no. <laughs> Perfect. Leanne P., what question do men and women ask the most when it comes to intimacy? Um, historically. Can I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Premature ejaculation for guys. 
Well, it's in that zone. It is more generally, am I normal? Am I normal? Am, am I big enough? Is this right? Am I too fast? Am I too slow? Am I normal? It's sort of, they're worried about their functioning. Uh, women also worried about men, which I find ironic. Uh, what's up with them? How do they work? How come I don't understand? Because forever we've raised men and women to believe that the motivational priorities are the same at 19 or 20 or 24. But they're not. They're very, very different. And so it's, it's extremely confusing if you're not realistically assessing one another and teaching people about, about these motivational systems that are going in the brain. I mean, ultimately, we're all human, but our motivational systems are very, very different at that age. Isn't there something that someone said where you're like, yeah, that's not normal? No, that's not. <laughs> I mean, they're all the time. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right? Because everybody has their sexual, what do you call it? Mishaps <laughs> or those things where you're like, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I thought I was about to have an orgasm and then I couldn't and then I went limp. Does that sound familiar yeah, at all? Or, or I orgasm and nothing came out and well, that's retrograde ejaculation and that's common and it's not, not necessarily a big deal, but it does need to be looked at a little bit. So th there's plenty of stuff where I'm saying, eh, get that looked into. Raken, what does Dr. Drew think of the effect of quarantine is going to have on people suffering from addiction, better or worse? I think what I'm seeing, I think, and again, this is the data has yet to come in yet. I think people are switching to alcohol. I think I'm seeing a really significant upswing of alcohol right now. Oh, I, I've never had quite so many calls for people with real out of control alcoholism all of a sudden. And I've noticed that I think the meth is down. I think the gangs are staying indoors because of fear of, of, uh, covid and so they're not distributing as aggressively as they were so i think meth is down and i think they're switching to alcohol and if you go to the homeless somebody was just telling me this in venice there's much more alcohol bottles out on the street and the homeless are more irritable and aggressive which is again alcohol well you know just when you thought being homeless couldn't be worse yeah well it's interesting the homeless actually have a very low incidence of, of covid very low because they're outdoors there's a study in China where they looked at 318 outbreaks of three or more cases. Of two, two or more cases, most had three to five cases. 80% were in the home. 34% were in uh, in uh, contained uh, uh, transportation environments. One case of 318. The average was three to five. One case was out of door, and it was a one-to-one, -one, two-person transmission. Out of doors is clearly a better environment for people to be in than indoors. So again, wow. moving outside, if you, like I said, you want to have your friend over, sit out of doors, wear a mask, be six feet apart, probably just fine. <sighs> Anxiety. Emily asks, what advice would you give to someone who deals with depression every now and then and who may not have the financial benefits of going to a therapist? It depends where you are. I mean, there are... If you're in Los Angeles, there's something called the Maple Center that will has excellent therapists, and they are free if you can't pay. I mean, there most in most areas have at least prorated services available for for psychotherapy, and and sometimes with, you know intermittent depression and whatever's going on there may not take a lot of visits. Kind of tune things up and to make a plan and things you can even do on your own after somebody figures out what's going on. So. My goodness, I mean, do you go out to dinner and spend 50 bucks? That's all it costs to go to a therapist. So I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. I, I'll, I'll tell you from experience, I just know, I always say exercise is so important. I mean, 
What would you, because I, I just know that I feel better after I do it. Well, exercise, you know, long walks and classical music have uh, performed admirably uh, when measured against antidepressant medication. And I have noticed that with this particular outbreak, I've been really depressed this whole time. Uh, and I, what I don't like is being unable to see the future. I, I don't like that. I, don't, I can't plan or, or see a future, and it's very depressing to me. And uh, I turned it around by running outside in the sun. Having the sunlight, getting the air, getting the exercise made all the difference in the world for me. Is there a Strike. vitamin? Is there something away from depression? But is there is there some kind of vitamin that you just stand by? Not that you're trying to promote it, but something that you should be taking every day. I don't care wh- who you are. This is the wh- whether it's vitamin D or a vi- is there something that you just there's that one? So, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Okay, and 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 I will I will qualify each one as to whether it's hey it's just me, hey it's there's a promotion attached to it, or hey we ought to all do this. Right, vitamin D. Clearly, vitamin D should be enhanced in the day of COVID. I, I've been a vitamin D fan for quite some time. There are benefits to getting your vitamin D levels up well beyond. How COVID. many milligrams? I take about 5,000, 6,000 a day. Okay? okay, Somewhere between 5 and 10. But even then, it's hard to get it up sometime. I take a multivitamin, not because of the multivitamin, because it has minerals. And I do, I'm a big fan of maintaining. We don't get a lot of minerals in our diet many times. And so I'm a fan of maintaining minerals. I do that. I'm not saying you should do that. So I'm saying do vitamin D. Listen to what I do. You can think about it for yourself. Uh, The studies on people that take multivitamin show fairly consistently that people that uh, take multivitamins die before people who don't take multivitamins. That's the that's the science. Do with what you would do with you will of that. Uh, I take I take vitamin C um, mostly because I'm on sort of a I'm on kind of a keto diet and so I, I don't get a lot of vitamin C. So I take vitamin C. Um, I take, I take this project, this product called true Niagen. I do promotion for them, but I, uh, 18 months ago was convinced that NAD metabolism is an important part of aging. It's also something helpful in people coming off drugs and alcohol. Uh, people get NAD infusions and this true Niagen enhances your NAD metabolism and may, may, the science looks like it may reduce cell senescence meaning it might affect aging. So I take that every day. I'm persuaded. It also has some anti Well, you look great. I, that, whenever somebody says that to me, I go, God, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if it is. It's, it's <laughs> maybe. Um, uh, let's see. I'm leaving something out. The, the fish oil, you got to make a decision about. There's, there's controversy around that, you know, and what combination you want. Uh, but I do take, I take fish oil. What about like in terms of inflammation with eating a lot of red meat? And is, is there a lot of truth to that? No. What there's truth to is, in fact, that whole thing has been really shot down. I would refer you to the work of Kate Shanahan, who's a you had an interviewer. She would come in. Okay, she's, she's really good biochemist. She's a family practitioner, and she she can tell you really important things about nutrition. The things we can know, we we don't know much, really. The things we do know, but the one thing we also know is that central obesity is inflammatory. And one of the things that we're learning about COVID is if you have fat across your abdomen, you are one of these people that may get a cytokine storm. And my patients that had antiphospholipid syndrome, insulin resistance, central obesity, did very poorly with COVID. So there is all, in other words, my hypothesis is they were already inflamed because of this inflammatory organ we call adipose across the central part of their body. That does seem to be true. COVID is reinforcing that fact. Now, 
Meat is not the mediator of that. How much red meat should I have? Uh, Talk to Kate. Talk to Kate. About it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a nutritionist. This is just what I do. I'm. I believe, at least at this point in my life, that the carbohydrate story is a much more serious story, particularly for people with metabolic syndrome like myself. And and I again, all the people that did poorly with COVID ate too many carbohydrates. Uh, I mean, the carbohydrate problem, insulin resistance. I think that may be the major story here and not me. Wow. This has been fantastic. Uh, you know, so let me just, so where we can find you and listen to you because you're always full of so much knowledge. The Dr. Drew podcast, correct? It's on my website, drdrew.com. We drdrew.com. Do a daily stream where we just sort of go over what's going on with the COVID thing and answer your questions. Uh, on Sundays, we do a call-in show. Um with guests, uh, and then I do an Adam do a show with Adam Carolla. How is that being back with him? We've been doing it for like seven years, I think, or eight years. So I've been oh back wow, for, really? Never been out of my life, really. I you mean, guys ever flip out on each other? Is there ever a time where you're like, dude, shut the fuck up, Adam? Um, not lately. We've been good <laughs> lately. I would say we're good lately. What what is it that bothers you? What is it that fires you up when he says something? What is it? Is it the cynicism, or is it what is it? I told him, he goes, he goes, do I have any, you know, he was asking me to be critical of him. And I said, Adam, you have a blind spot around aggression. He can be very aggressive sometimes to the point where you can't respond because he's so aggressive. And then he gets mad at you for not responding. So I don't like that bind. I, I, I the, the aggression, you know, he'll, he'll just become extremely aggressive where you just, you kind of freeze. And uh, I don't like that. Is that so something that's just, not his approach. I mean, you're a guy that's pretty, mild-mannered i mean I'm, I'm sure you lose your shit i have have you I, I, you have yeah sure I, have. I haven't seen you lose your shit no not publicly probably last time i lost my shit was about three years ago and i just got on a keto diet and um you can get kind of aggressive i think from that diet <laughs> and i went and somebody was trying to get me to do something that i didn't think was right and i really lost it on her she was a friend of mine and i hung up and i had to call back and go i, I am so sorry i had to go on a, like an apology tour it was not not right. Not me. Well, you're human. We're all human. Look, thank you. I can't thank you enough for this. This has been a blast. I really, because, you know, I, I don't really interview doctors. So <laughs> I sort of knew you, but I was like, you know, I've been on his shows and this and that. But, I, you know, I just, once we got talking, you're so easy to talk to. And I, I think that's uh, that's just, uh, that's that's a rarity. That's a great quality you have. And I, I want to thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. Well, that's why it's easy for me. So there you go. All right. Well, thank so. you again. And, um Open invitation. Uh, you're amazed by the the folks are going to just love this. They've been. They, maybe we should do something once once more clarity comes with this COVID thing. Maybe we should update update our priors, as they say. I would love it. I would love I it. I am deeply humble. One one thing I learned from this whole thing is to check my humility. Always be humble. Yeah. Well, that you are. So thank you. And uh, I, I, that's it, really. We, okay. we, you know, that's weird because when you're zooming. There's always that moment where you're like, all right, goodbye. And then you just sit there for three seconds while you're saying, okay, shouldn't there be a code word like, all right, just turn the other way. Don't look zoom, at me. Zoom out. Zoom out. All right. I'm going to switch you off and I'm going to go. And I appreciate you letting me have, be on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll, you, me and Jason will go out and get a, get a, get a bourbon somewhere or something. I'd love that. All right, Dr. Drew. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank my, uh, my, uh, my guest, Dr. Drew. It was fantastic. Hopefully you guys got something out of it. Let me know, you know, hello at insideofupodcast.com if you have any thoughts or if you have any comments. 
I try to look at them as much as possible. Um, also, the uh, online store, Inside of You store. We have uh, ins- Inside of You online store. Uh, new black hoodies, Inside of You, with my face on it. Oh, boy. Uh, black New black shirts with my face on it. And uh, gray and yellow that are really dope. So three new shirts, and thanks to Brandy Edie, and uh, they're really amazing. I think you'll like them, and they're, they're selling. People really like them, so that's cool. I, I want to uh, say thank you again to uh, my Inside of You patrons. I do it all the time. Um, you know I love you, and I appreciate you. What a, f- a fantastic community if you want to join uh, on Patreon Inside of You podcast. And the other patron, which is brand new, it's only um, about two weeks old, is the John Heater, Michael Rosenbaum. Patreon. It's only on Patreon, and it's a horror movie uh, Patreon. It's where have all the good horror movies gone? So join us on that. There's some really great tiers and things, and John's very personable and amazing, and we have a great time. It's early in the game, and we're uh, we're, we're evolving. We have a, a new system of rating movies. It's the Rose and Bomb rating. So it's uh, there's if it's a Rose, one to three Roses, three Roses being great, or if it's a Bomb, Rose and Bomb. Then it gets, you know, and right in the middle is a heater, a heater, a baseball fan. You know, it's a heater right down the middle. It's neither here nor there. It's not good. It's not bad. I don't care. It's the heater. So uh, join us on that, too. So thank you. Real quick shout out to all the uh, patrons, top tier patrons. Here you go. And I, and I love that you stick around with me and hang out. I always think you're going to you're going to ditch me, <laughs> which is understandable. You know who you are. Nancy D, Mary B, Leah S, Trisha F. Sarah V, Yukiko. It was fun talking to Yukiko last week. Jill E, Brian H. Brian. Many of these people, I noticed their patrons on both the horror patron and the inside of you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Lauren G, Nico P, Barry L, Angelina G, Jerry W, Kevin R, Emily K, Bob B, Robert B. I want to say your last name because I know them all now. Jason W., Kristen K., Andrew C., Allison L., Jason D., Raj, John, Sean, John, Sean P., Sean W., Sean, sorry, Sean W., Joshua D., Emily S., CJP, Rox Raccoon, Samantha M., Hamza B., Jennifer N., Stacy B., Carly T., Vanessa in the Sky, Reem, Jennifer S., Janelle B., Janelle, horror as well, many of you. Neil W., Tabitha272, Kimberly E., Melissa C., Melissa C., Mike E., Jake M., Marissa N., Catherine M., Jack S., Jack S., I love you, Jack. Carly S., Judith, Ramira, Chris F., Sarah F., Chad W., Leanne P., Darla W., Jackie P., Rodrigo S., Rachin, Rachin77, Rashan77. I'm going to continue to mess your name up. Travis B, Ray A, Maya P. Welcome, Megan D, Demario, Tina J, Jennifer C, Maddie S, and Tiffany L. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I think we're all blessed. Okay, I'm going to read some fan mail now. This one's from Katie. And uh, it's quick and to the point. I really enjoy your podcasts. Lost my husband just over eight months ago. Sorry. Every day has a new meaning. He, we, it wasn't good. I have way more to say. Just fucking late now up here in BC. Thank you for addressing some hard, essential issues we all face day in and day out. I appreciate all of your content. It gives me hope. 
You know, it's funny. It's like sometimes I read these and I could feel what she's saying. Like she didn't say a ton. She said enough. And uh, Katie, you know, I'm, it's so hard not to say. So it's, it's, it's hard to find something creative to say or different to say that other than I'm sorry. And I, I really am sorry. And um, I want you to stay strong. I just want you to um, give yourself a break and I want you to find a way to enjoy life. And as I've said it before, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but as far as we know, we, we only get one. So tomorrow's a new day. We've got to get out of bed. You know, we got to go for a walk. We got to figure it out. We'll figure it out. Katie, thank you for your, your kind letter. Thank you again. Uh, thank you to all the patrons. Thank you for, uh, joining me on my Instagram lives, uh, stage it tomorrow, uh, at 6 PM Pacific time. That's me and Rob dancing. We're going to play a couple of covers, a couple, 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 couple covers. We're going to play a couple of covers. We're going to, uh, play maybe a few left on Laurel songs, uh, maybe an original or two. We'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. There's going to be prizes. Um, and reminding you guys just to be healthy, stay out of trouble, uh, help your fellow man, uh, take it easy on yourselves. Um, you're all special, really. And um, and send more letter, uh, fan mail. If you uh, send it to hello at insideofyoupodcast.com. And uh, I'll try to get to it. I mean, you know, you can keep them short or as long as you want. I like short. And quickly, another shout out to just uh, the, uh, the charities that I love. Ronald McDonald House of Los Angeles, uh, the Animal Rescue Mission, Echoes of Hope for Foster Youth. And... Uh, that about wraps it up. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, thank you for letting me be inside you. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.